it's time for Hillbilly Has-Beens. Now here's Darren and Dave. Alright, welcome to the next installment of Hillbilly Has-Beens. I'm your host, Dirty Darren Smith, and this is uh, Dangerous Dave Dunkley. Say hi, Dave. Hello, Darren. We, we trying to get some new names. <laughs> I know, man. I don't know. I just want to do something different. Meat and taters. Um, uh, yeah, we got we got them all, man. We wore that well for a good while. I've been called many things. <laughs> Maybe by me. Yeah, well, <laughs> undoubtedly. But uh, you know, we're gonna continue our the beginning. But this is your turn in the barrel, my friend. Nineteen sixty nine. Sixty nine, starting through. Now, Dave, I was 89. Dave's 95. That's when he started with Tim. So he's going to be the beginning 69 through 95. And, uh, you know, I started realizing, you know, we were talking about the similarities between me and you, even though we grew up in different parts of the country. And, you know, one similarity was our both of our fathers were known to be drinkers. Yes. They'd kick them back. Yes. they kick them back. Um, uh, and they both, you know, had a – I, you know, my, my dad, my mom ran a neighborhood bar called the Congo Bar. And uh, so my dad always had a place to go, you know. So right. did you, your dad have a place like that that he always oh, went to? Yeah, he had a local place. He'd always kick on the way home from work. He was a banker at the Bank of West Virginia. He was an auditor. You know, he was brilliant with money or not money, but numbers. It was something he did, but he loved music, too. Kind of, I think him kind of battle. He, you know, he wanted to be a musician, but you know, you get family, and you know, people make choices, and sometimes they drag you down. You know. Well, he was making too much jack at the bank to be a musician. <laughs> I think he hated hair to die. Typical musician. He hated the suit. He hated to drive home stuck in traffic. He'd come in the door, you know, and, and just forty-five minutes of idiots would be his. You know, he'd be livid. So you know, you know what they say about a musician and pizza. What's you know, uh, a musician and a small pizza. Neither one can feed a family of four. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> but what was your dad's drinking choice? Um, early times, early times bourbons. What I remember. Yeah, my dad was a uh, black velvet whiskey. Yeah, yeah. bourbon. I've you know. seen black velvet in there before. He was probably. Oh, yeah. To do the cheap because he was doing it all the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I was like 15 years old running over to the liquor store across the tracks to get a gallon for the weekend. Yeah. I, I yeah. never got to do that, but I would walk in there with it, holding his hand, you know. Oh, yeah. Going to an ABC store is what they called it at home. Yeah. So, when did you, uh, when did you, when did you first pick up the sticks, the drumsticks for the first time? About, about sixth grade. I joined the uh, sixth grade band and you could start with a snare drum. And the, the the grade school had a couple snare drums. I g happened to get one, and I'd lug that thing home, big old case, sticks in it, had a music stand and a and a book. And that's the only time I ever booked, you know, very well was that first year. <laughs> I was trying to be dedicated, but books suck, you know. And I'd get home and try and flams and other things. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just beating that thing. But, you know, it was all about rhythms was what I was looking for, you know. He said you said beating that thing. Anyway, um, funny. I don't know. Just so that's that's pretty much the extent of your lessons was like school, you know. School. I did the school band in sixth grade. Then I joined the band in seventh, but I was playing foot football in school too. So I didn't do the marching 
football season. I did the jazz, like the Christmas concert season. Yeah. But then I'd do the marching a couple times, you know, they, I played the timbales and it's funny. I played timbales and bongos. And when I played in the, and I, <laughs> so I, it was, you know, inevitable. That's where I was heading. I love that part of it. Anyway, it was always trying to put the flavor on things, man. You know, trying to trying to put some sugar in in the mix. Well, did you uh, did you listen to a lot of uh, records and radio and to the radio? What was, was your what was your what was your like influence to to drum? I mean, who was your drumming influence? Man, I, my my uh, cousin Mike came. He was in the Navy and probably 70, 71. Um, he comes to my house. He has a suitcase. He's wearing a sailor's suit and he stays about two weeks. He brings some albums out of his suitcase. And one of them was Santana, the one with the lion face on it. And yeah. he would, I remember he would walk over to town to play pool. And I didn't ever ask, you know, I would sneak and I'd get that record and put it on and just go over the, the drum parts over and over and just back it back up, you know, for the drum breaks. You know, and, and it's got all caught up in, in the percussion and Latin parts of drumming, really before I ever sit down behind a drum kit. Did so, you ever uh did you ever uh put headphones on and stick it in the headphone thing and play along on a drum kit? Yeah, sometimes when but I didn't really have equipment to do that much. I was learning in my bedroom, you know, and I used to hook any speaker I could find. If I found speakers in the trash can, I'd take them home and split wires up and you know, I had eight speakers like quad, even though it wasn't doing all that, you know, but you know, you know what's funny about that? What's funny about that is that when you put headphones on and play drums, everything sounds good. The drums sound killer and you're playing along with it. It's kind of like when, it, when uh, you're driving down the road, listening to the radio and singing along at the top of your voice and you think it sounds great, but it really sounds like crap, you know, in the shower when you think it sounds great. Well, what was, uh, what was the first band you ever played in? Um, John Ward and I was uh, 17, 18 years old. We formed a band with Jeff Chappelle and William Bosley called a Trinity. And um, we we started out without a PA. We just started playing like Tommy Bowl and marching powders. And so it didn't have no lyrics, you know, so we was playing stuff like that. Then we. Uh, Trinity. A, Trinity, yes. We got a. That's a cool name. I, I mean, I had Darren the Dudes. And you had Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to be cool, you know, but uh, then John Ward's mom helped us get a, a PA and we always thought John Ward would sing these songs. So we started learning, I think, Blackfoot, uh, Highway Song, uh, Gimme, Gimme, uh, they had another song, I forget, but we was learning these songs thinking John Ward's going to be the lead singer, you know, play rhythm guitar. Oh. And we got the PA and John started singing was like, um, that's not going to work. John <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, in case you don't, in case you don't know who John Ward is, John was our house engineer with Tim for I don't know from the beginning almost when we first he was our first house engineer and our last you know he, he's the how I got in there he brought me in yeah. you know that's so we guy. started our music career together and John brings me in to McGraw ten years later but but uh, yeah that's how it started there yeah I was I was gonna say now I know John Ward can't sing. <laughs> <laughs> he would do okay, but he, when he heard himself singing, he's like, ah, this is not, you know, this is this. He did good backup vocals and stuff, but I ended up starting to sing out of necessity, you know, and I'm just really learning to play 
And so when I'd start singing, I'd, you know, speed up and I'd write notes to myself, you know, on the floor, slow down, you know, just trying to keep my finding the pocket and being able to sing while you're in the pocket too. It take a while. Oh, it's tough, man. I know. I've tried to do it. You've got to find a way to crawl up in there and have a seat, you know. So how was the music scene there in Charleston, West Virginia, where you're from? Where I was growing up in the 70s, it was magnificent. There was three or four really funky bands. Uh, Ebony and the Greek, Stratus. Um, it was, um, man, check us out. So I was 15. My mom owned a club. And these uh, rhythm and blues and funk artists would come through town every once in a while. And then we had some local bands that would play. Well, there's a band from Indianapolis that came through called Manchild. And I, man, they would, you know, they had the big flare bell bottoms, the stacked uh, shoes, the afros kicking and be dressed to the nines. And man, they didn't come into place. And, and when they came in, they made a scene. As soon as they came through the door, people's looking at them, you know, and they would go get their stuff ready. But they, you could tell, man, they was coming to funk you up. You know, uh, you know what? That's that's funny. You say that because there was a band that used to come to where we were, and they, they were called Festival, and they mm-hmm. were they were like a twelve piece horn band, and they were the same way, dressed to the nines. They had an old Greyhound Scenic Cruiser. They all lived in a commune together, mm-hmm. and they, I think they survived by growing weed, but because uh, they had some <laughs> badass weed, but yeah. <laughs> you know, high school, you know, but they right. were like that too. They're dressed to the nines, and they they. As soon as they started playing, it'd be like, holy crap. They and, and, yeah, and, and they did that old Commodores thing. The the horns would dance around the whole club. And, and they, had a, they had a trumpet player and a sax player, but get check who's, check out who's in it. So there's a 17, 18-year-old kid in this band from Indianapolis, and his name's Kenny Edmonds. You know who that is? No. That's Babyface. Oh, it is? Babyface? Babyface. And he was just oh, a baby wow. man. And he was in this band and I got to sit there in a chair. My mother ran the place. I'm 15, 16 years old and I look a little older, but it's the seventies. You know, you sit there in your mom's club and I'm sitting, I'm just sitting here getting educated on funk music, you know, as a teenager. And I just fell in love with it. I'm all up into earth, wind and fire and the Isley brothers, Johnny guitar Watson, and you know, just loving that stuff. And at the same time, listening to the radio and getting Boston and, foreigner and you know all the radio stuff because that's all i did that's cool there's a there's a lot of a lot of people come out of west virginia Mm -hmm. i mean not only john ward you know with tim and uh lee lee hendrix uh, Hendrix with uh who's he with uh with eric church yeah eric Uh, church and flower brother the flowers brothers one of them plays guitar for meatloaf and the other one's the bass player for uh keith urban and didn't Billy Ray Cyrus came out of West Virginia? Yeah, he, he was from Ashland, which is like 50 miles from my hometown, you know, Dunbar. And it was right there on the border. So he would play Huntington, Ashland. And, you know, the Achy Breaky Heart video was 50, 60 miles from the house at Paramount Theater. And, man, he just blew up. I watched that happen from 50 miles away. It was crazy. And we can't forget the most famous West Virginian, Jessica White. <laughs> yeah, remember he came to see us in Charleston, and he had yeah. a he had a long coat on all the way to the ground, and it was like uh, quilted, like quilts or something. Remember? Oh yeah, yeah, it was pretty weird, looking like Elvis, and it was yeah, crazy. And his, sister, his 
sister was could kick some ass too. <laughs> it could, man. Let's see, the first time you came to Nashville, oh, why did yeah. you? Was was it because of John Ward, or was he already here? Or well, he helped just, me. He he helped me. He said, "Come on down here, and I'll help you get a job, and um, you know, get back and forth to work." He came. I came down, and he had a car. His friend had a car. He said, I don't care if you use it. You know, it's just sitting out here. It wasn't even legal, man, but I was driving it to this construction site and working and, you know, driving from uh, I think it's Old Hickory down to Nashville to the West End and remodel house all day. And But you're trying to make money and stay, you know, pay your rent and all that. And there's the music gigs. You can't really work them because you're working this, you know, trying to eat, you know. I'm finding myself coming to Nashville and working and not and not playing. I was playing more at home, you know. Really, but just trying to find a place that you can um, to to land, you know, where where someone will see you. So you've given up playing all the time to take a chance. First time it didn't work for me, man. Lost my ass. How many times did you uh, come to Nashville before you actually moved here? I came. Well, I did. I moved here two times. The first time I I um you know pretty much lost lost it. Second time I, I went home, regrouped a few years, came back a second time, did the same thing, man. Just couldn't get gigs, you know, did a couple things here and there, but it was all struggle. So I thought I'll go back home again. I kind of got forced to go back home and I went back home for a year or two. And that's when John Ward called me at home. I was in Charleston when he called to pull me in this McGraw gig. I got that one question. You ever sure. watched the Mountain Monsters? <laughs> Yeah. I actually watched it when you pointed it out to me. Well, I have to know, is uh, Trapper or Huckleberry any relation at all to you? <laughs> well, you know, it, it's possible, there, and It's really possible. And, and have you ever seen any mountain monsters besides hairy chicks or anything? No, I've seen a couple mountain monsters, but nothing that would uh, warrant being on that TV show. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry. They've never seen any either. They hear them a lot. Truth, yeah, that's yeah. funny. So you did. Uh, you worked for the. You when you moved to Nashville to survive, didn't you work for the cable company too? And 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 at the Opry. I did. I worked at the cable company. I put in installed cable all around my hometown for five or six years, maybe more. Heck, it was. It's all blur. Um, one of the times I came down uh, to Nashville, I worked at the Grand Ole Opry. I would go after the shows. And mop, I mean, I mopped the stage and the, the the aisles and swept popcorn out of the seats and cleaned up, you know, people they'd be in the park all day eating crap and then coming here and vomiting the floor. You know? <laughs> okay. It's horrible. Did you meet anybody famous while you were at the Opry? Then? I sure did. I, that's the first time I started encountering uh, famous people. And so my first time, Darren, the first time I ever see someone famous that I knew who it was, I went in the bathroom at the backstage at the Opry, I'm going to the bathroom. They have a little divider between the urinals. And I look down and this guy comes beside me and um, he had a red boot on. I think it was red. And there was a wagon wheel just glittering off the side of that thing. And I kind of go, you know, he's got the pants, the studded pants, and I'm going up and I look over and that's Porter Wagner. And he's standing. <laughs> and you peed on his leg. Come on, didn't you? You peed on his leg. Yeah, man. I was like, hey, but um, yeah, that was my first encounter. You know, it's funny about that is that when we were we did the uh, Ryman, uh, uh, you know, downtown, uh, 
the, for the Opry and uh, or for something. It was something uh, we did, and we shared dressing rooms with Porter Wagner. Yeah. And in case you don't know about Porter Wagner, it's rumor that Porter Wagner is very gifted. And y'all know what I mean. He was. He was, yeah. And, uh, I mean, everybody in Nashville knows it uh, or heard of it. And, uh, man, we were in there, and I wanted so bad to go, Porter, dude, <laughs> come on. Whip it out, partner. I want to, you know, I want to just confirm. You don't want to see that. But I, I would never do that. But, you don't want to see that. He was still a nice guy, though. He was yeah, great. He was great. So anybody else you meet there? Uh, yes. One time about 1145, I came in to go to work and Roy Acuff would stay after, you know, and um, I come around the corner, you know, remember it was kind of like a square, you know, the stage was at one end and you could walk down the hallways of both sides and then they met in the back hallway. Well, I came around the corner kind of fast and almost ran into Roy Acuff. Like we just run kind of really quickly, you know, had an encounter there and he pulled a fake gun from his hip, you know, like with his finger and pointed it at me and kind of moved, you know, moved it up like he shot me. I threw my hands up and I said, I said, what's where you point that thing, Mr. A. Cuff? And we both just laughed and just kept walking, you know. You remember, you remember when we were at the, was it, was it an award show? I believe it was. And, and we were standing backstage and, uh, uh, Brad Paisley was there and remember he had his hat off and he had a dude that was carrying his hat for him that would walk yes. around right beside him. and I was like wow what a gig he carrying his hat huh? <laughs> thought we had a great gig yeah you, that's what you do walk around behind him with holding his hat like it's some kind of crown like a, a Pope hat or something you know <laughs> man one time I was working there at the Opry and uh I was just digging around through boxes. We was trying to put stuff away. And I felt and I found the uh corn from the cornfield a hee haul had been put up. <laughs> yeah, I opened the lid and I'm like, this it's cornfield county corn. Did you stand up and go <laughs> Charleston, West Virginia? Population from a salute. Salute. Yeah, man. I had some good memories of the Opry. I had fun there. We had a good time working there, man. We had a a crazy crew, and we'd turn the lights off, sleep in the aisles, you know. The, yeah, there was I, stories about ghosts, and we'd hide in the in the trash cans and scare each other and go up underneath. There's a, a place you can go under the stage and walk at a, in a kind of crouch position, but goes all the way back to the front of the house, and you go under the stage. Just light bulbs, and it's kind of scary down there. You know where you come in the back door, and then there's a little guard place there that the yeah. little security guy? Well, uh Security guy is a good friend of mine, uh, Greg Fletcher. He's a, he runs sound at our church uh, whenever we do the band thing at the church. Or he's not a drummer, is he? No, no, he's actually a DJ for one a, 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 somewhere in Kentucky, some radio station in Kentucky. Uh, he's a DJ and pretty. He's a great guy, but he's been there at the Opry uh, on that back door for I don't know how long. You know, he has some good stories about people trying to get in and stuff. Oh, I bet he does. Well, I mean, looking back on your sordid career, <laughs> uh, did, is there anything that sticks out to you, like uh, in your club years when you played, that's just kind of weird or funny or, or you know, crazy. crazy? Yeah, I had a couple things. Um, one in that band Trinity, we took a gig for a swap meet once, and uh, 
we had three brothers in the band, three white boys and three brothers. And this, the people that the motorcycle group who hired us, they came and watched us a few times. They loved us. We was playing some pretty hard rock stuff, just different stuff. And they loved it. So they said, you come and play for us and we'll take care of you and make sure nobody bothers you, you guys or anything. So we did it, man. And we get there to the armory. They got a flatbed truck with about 20 kegs of beer on the back of it. And there's a lot of motorcycle gangs and stuff. But as the evening goes on, it gets a little wild. And these two guys from the Pagan Motorcycle Club shows up. And one guy's name's Wild Bill Pagan. And <laughs> and they first of all, they rode a motorcycle across the stage, of course. And we're just up there, like looking at each other. We're just kids, man. Like, what the hell are we supposed to do with this? You know, I mean, <laughs> one of us is over twenty, and then um, one of them stops and he comes up on the stage and he's kind of talking to William. Um, he's playing bass, and then I look up and I was like, you know, asking, you know, like, can I help you? It was stupid, man. I was eighteen years old. I'm like, you know, I wanted to say, man, get the hell off the stage, you know. But I knew this guy was punching my lights out. So he looked at me and pointed his finger real mean at me and said some racial things towards white people. Oh, right. <laughs> and let me know to, you know, set back down. I was like, yes, sir. You know, I'm like, at that point, I'm like, how am I going to get out of here? But man, they tormented us for a little while, all the time, almost like playing with a little puppy or something. They never hurt anybody, but they just like was having, you know, pagan fun, I guess, man. I guess, and then man. after about an hour of it, they like, we really like you guys, and uh, we would have never hurt you, man. We're just playing. I was like, man, <laughs> I think I took about five years off my life, and you know, just from being that, it was scary. I think it took us usually it took us two hours to pack a truck and leave. We got out of there in about forty-five minutes. <laughs> oh yeah, you know it's funny about the you know motor you know the motorcycle clubs. There was a there was a club down from the my mom's bar called it was the A Bait Club. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a bunch of hardcore dudes, you know, motorcycle dudes. And, but, you know, they came in one time and they liked the band. And, boy, if they like you, you're in, man. And nobody right. will mess with you. And if they see somebody mess with you, they'll kick some ass, you know. Right. <laughs> uh, if right. you make friends with them, they're friends for life, you know. Yeah. Kind of like being a Marine or something. You know? Right. I had a couple of those guys. They, they slipped me their card and they're like, you know, anything we could ever do for you, man. I mean, you know, just give us a call. Well, we even even with Tim, we had some, you know, we had we a couple motors. Uh, it was Mike, Mike, Mike up in Boston. Boston was a hell's yeah. angel, you know. We did, but he never he never flaunted. He, you know, whenever and what was cool about him was whenever he did talk about the hell's angels, he never said the hell's angels. He always said my brothers, my brothers. Yeah. Everything is yeah. my brothers. Yeah, man, he was a yeah. big dude, man. I wouldn't want to mess with him or his brothers. I tell you. You one time he looked over at me, he's like, Man, you uh you want a bagwit? And I was like, <laughs> A bagwit? I don't know what's a bagwit? And he's like, and he like it's a bag with weed in it. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of that. My cousin from Boston. You ever seen those commercials? Yes. <laughs> Boston Lager commercials. Yeah. I wonder what ever happened to Mark. He was a great dude, man. I always I always look forward to, to seeing him when we went there. That was the same place that those uh ladies, uh, Italian ladies would bring us food, remember? The the Italian food from the restaurant was always there at the show. Yeah, they owned a restaurant and would bring us food. It was killer, man. You know? Oh, it was magnificent, man. We always knew he was gonna get fat after that show. Yeah, we were fat anyway.
Yeah, I hate to tell you. Now we're just sassy. We're, we're, we're still fat, but not as fat as we were. Yeah. And plenty sassy. I think we already told the story about you uh, joining Tim and how you were playing, you know, being a drum tech. We already talked about that. And then I think people know that, that after you were a drum tech, you know, that's when you started playing percussion. Right. Uh, in the band, and then that's when I hit you with a chair in Charleston, West Virginia. <laughs> uh, yeah, totally, totally an accident. Blood bonded at that point. You know? Yeah, we did. We did. It was, I tell you, let me, and I want to just tell tell what happened there. Uh, right. We were in, in Dave's hometown of Charleston, West Virginia playing, and I think it was like your first time on stage uh, It was in your hometown. It was so, a very um, and, and I think I had two songs that I played, maybe three at that point. Yeah. 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 And so, but before you came, you know, when you're still, this is when you're still drum teching too. Yes. And so there was a, uh, there was a song we did. I can't remember what it was, but Dino went up on the riser and, and the razors, risers way tall in the air. Hey, That's probably 10 feet. Yeah. High. And yeah, he played cello. So he had right. a chair up there that he'd sit in. And, right. And at the end of the song, there I had to run up there and do this intro and all this. Well, they usually you know, a, a hand would come up and grab that chair and take it off. Well, it was still sitting there right where I had to stand. So it was kind of dark. It was in between. You know, we we're still waiting for the applause to die down. And I just took the chair and I looked over the side in the back. Nobody there. Nobody around. And I just dropped the chair. You know, and it, and. Uh, so we went in and played and played, played. And, and, uh, I remember we were playing the song that you came out and I looked over at you and you had like blood dripping down your, and I'm like, what happened to you? You know, not knowing that I, that you had run around the corner just at the exact time that I Perfect. dropped the chair yep. and the leg hit you on the head and split your head open. You know, yeah, I really thought I got hit by a light or something. I had no idea at the time what had happened. Yeah, and it, I mean, there was nothing malicious about it. It was just, uh, you know, I looked down. I'm like, okay, nobody's here. And I had to get rid of the chair before that song started. So I just looked down, didn't see a soul, and just dropped it. Well, I can tell you, here's why it, ha here's why it happened that way. So I'm in the crew, and every night at that end of that song, I would run out to the, to the center stage at the front and grab the mic stand. Tim had pulled it off, and he's walking away. I'd grab it, and I usually would go back to stage, the stage left side, to work, you know, my side like that. For whatever reason, on this night, I go across there in the dark, and I get it, and I go to the stage right side. And you're, I can remember it clear as day. I'm running, you know, just around the side of the set, and the light goes off and gets dark. You know how it is back there. When it first goes off, you don't see anything. And it, yeah. and it goes off, and I was kind of huddling to the side of the set trying to get around, and bam, just it hit me, you know, and kind of flinched down, you know, it was like, it, it was heavy, man. It was a heavy wooden chair. And I would say the one leg hit me because it, it caused my head to split open. I got 17 stitches. I know, man. I'm sorry about that. I know, man. That wasn't, oh, I was, I was pissed was, at myself and I, I, I think I tore the dressing room up that night. It was a little, yeah. If I had, man, I walked, I ran off the side cause blood was just squirting between my fingers and, uh, uh, Kook was in the the 
production office and he's on the phone and he turns around. I probably looked like a wrestler, you know, <laughs> covering my face and he's on the phone. He turns around and says, I got to go and just hangs the phone up. And next thing I know, the ambulance people are there and they're wanting to haul me off. They want to take huh. me to the end. And I'm like, oh, hell no. I haven't done my <laughs> yet. This, there's no freaking way. I have done I've done this all my life. And I'm about to step out in front of my home crowd. My mother's out there, dude, and my family. And they're waiting <laughs> on me to pop out. And so they, I said, you wrap this up, you know, gauze me up, and um, I'll put a bandana over it. And, and so – what you didn't know is those little curtains under Billy's riser, there was two ambulance guys under there. And, oh, really? Yep. And they said, we're going to stay right here if you get, you know, nauseous or anything. You just tell us, you know, because, man, I had squirted out a lot of blood. It was crazy. So, oh, so wow. I went out, I pulled the curtains apart, and I did my thing. And I can remember, um, I heard in my ears that uh, first it said, Meaty's not coming out, I think. And I'm like, oh, hell, I'm coming out. And uh, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> stepped out there and you was sitting there's a picture i put on facebook of where we're at at that point you're on one side on the right side sitting on the stairs and denny's on the left side and i'm between you two and i had i remember just a a little trickle of blood coming down the side of under my bandana down by my ear and you looked at me like what the hell happened yeah. to you? And, uh, and, I, so, and i didn't know i didn't know until after the show what happened right. you know and so they pulled the drums back in there and i went and Climbed up, they they would have put me on a gurney. I'm like, no. I stepped up, stepped up in an ambulance, rode three three uh, blocks down. They stitched me up in time to come back, get on the bus, and go to Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You got some poetic justice though, because last this year I had uh, uh, some basal something skin. It was skin cancer, but it, but it's not like melanoma or anything. It's not it's right. kind of a and I had a place done in my head. I had like six stitches in it. So kind of got me back, you know. So I would, I would never wish that on you, brother. I would never want to hit you back. <laughs> it was funny, man. The next day after uh, we, we returned, you know, I woke up, got off the bus. And when I went in, everybody uh, had Band-Aids on their heads. And it was, oh, yeah. remember that? Everybody's walking around with Band-Aids on their head that day. Yeah, it's funny how things like that, you know, you do something would happen and never the next day somebody would always do something about it. I remember I had this purple guitar and uh, I, I uh, got pissed about something with my guitar tech, Izzy. Oh, I know what it was. I had a, a, a wireless pack on my back uh -huh. and it fit on my strap. Well, it started to get real microphonic when I moved it go. <laughs> so he says, that. yeah, so he says. Well, we will put some foam around it. And, uh, yeah, so it just wraps this big cloth of foam, and it looked like I had a hunchback because the thing landed right in my back. And I, I looked at, and I didn't think nothing about it, but I'm seeing all these crew guys laughing their butts off, you know, every time they looked at me, and I'm like, what is going on? And I looked up at the the big the Tron, you know, the big yep. video screen, and there I was, like looking at the hunchback in Notre Dame, and I'm like. And I looked back and I said, get this thing off me. And he just laughed at me, you know. So yeah. I always at the end of the night, after the last note, I would take my guitar and sling it to him. Right. You know, throw, it, throw it to him. Well, I slung that thing right over his head. I was so mad. <laughs> and it hit the ground and just bang, 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 bang. bang, bang I remember watching it sail over our heads, man. It was and then, crazy. Yeah, the next day, you know, 
he's got it out, open open up the case so everybody can come back and like look at it like it was a funeral or something, you know? Right. That's crazy, man. I know. Hey, before we go, I want to say one more thing, man, real quick. Okay, the whole time for like 35 years of my music career and, you know, he came around about 20 some years old, but we have been brothers who this man has hauled me around from gigs, come visit me at gigs, drive all over the country to come and hang out with, with us. And, uh, you know, come see us at bars and man, he's one of my best friends in the world. And I love him dearly. And you know him, my brother, Wally Price. Oh yeah. Wally. I want to say thank you to Wally. Cause, uh, you played a big old part in this man, hauling Dave around and always supported everything I ever said I was going to do. Whatever crazy ass idea I had while he was behind me a hundred percent. So yeah, well, he's, 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 he's a great guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he really is. He's a, he's a favorite. <laughs> him, him and Bill Grubb. Billy Grubb. Well, I've been, you know, Billy's listening. He's been loving this stuff. Yeah. I love Billy Grubb. He took a, uh, he took uh, Judah and I, and I on a couple of years ago, and we went out and saw a, a uh, Broncos game. Spent the weekend there with him. Man, he's a he's a great guy. Colorado boy came and worked the cable job with me for a couple of years. We became brothers and been friends ever since. Man, been a long that's time. That's good, man. We met a lot of good people, and you know, a lot of lot of good stuff that's that's happened. And that, and that gig it gig allowed us to go visit him. I would have never went to. Denver and see him, but you know, after he moved away from West Virginia, I bet I saw him five, six times, maybe more. You know, and I would have never done that without a Tim McGraw gig. There you, you know? go. Well, man, you know what time it is? Song of the week. Week, 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 week. That you know what? You're not helping me out on the week anymore. Sorry, man. It's kind of weak. Yeah, well, yeah, it is. But it's getting weaker every day. Week, week. This song this week is a song that me and Dave wrote up in the Lair Studios while we were cutting our first record with yes. Tim, uh, the Dance Hall Doctors record. We had a lot of, you know, when you're in the studio, it's not all cut, 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 cut. There's people that have to do overdubs and singing and mixing and this. So you have a lot of downtime, too. So we all had our own rooms up there, and it was like 30 degrees in my room. Uh, right. I had to cover up with a bearskin rug with a head on it. But it was a great places to hide too. You remember the billiard room, the billiard room had the like devil uh, print on the wall, that big, huge painting. Oh yeah. It was, it was weird. And then <laughs> my room was upstairs and, and we'd go up there and escape for a while. And, and you had a great, yeah, it was right. A big room too. Right. And uh, so we'd uh, write, we started writing. I think we wrote a couple things up there, but this so. is one of them. Uh, Dave singing is you're singing your butt up on this one, man. I Thank hadn't you, heard man. it in a while, but it's real soulful and it's a real simple song, but it, but it's, uh, I think the hook is killer, you know, but I don't know where we came up with it, but Me just, neither. yeah, must be a, I think it was a, I don't know who said it, but, uh, this name of the song is the, the truth. In other words, the truth will set you, set me free. Yes. We'll play on words there. So here it is. It's called the truth. It was late and I was hoping I had touched the right emotion And here I am just sitting around Waiting on your call I guess it's wishful thinking It's another lonely evening And I'm all by myself again tonight And 
Looking at the sun go down And wishing you would come around Cause I can't take a one more night Of talking to myself Maybe I was right Maybe you don't understand Maybe I was wrong Maybe you don't give a damn All it takes is seven numbers A simple yes or no then I'd have a reason to hold on or just let go. Oh, baby, baby, can't you see? The truth will set me free. I don't understand the reason you never come to see me. But when I ask excuses, still my time, every time. If I gave you one more day Would it really matter anyway Cause it's getting down To where I draw the line Oh Looking at the sun come up I guess I finally had enough Cause I can't take one more day Of talking to myself Maybe I was right Maybe you don't understand Maybe I was wrong, maybe you don't give a damn All it takes is seven numbers A simple yes or no and Then I'd have a reason To hold on or just let go Oh baby, baby can't you see The truth will set me Waiting in confusion when the answer's black and white. Put some color in this picture so I can get on with my life. I got to get on with my life. Maybe I was right, maybe you don't understand. Maybe I was wrong, maybe you don't give a damn. Well, all it takes is seven numbers. A simple yes or no But then I'd have a reason To hold on or just let go Oh baby, baby can't you see Oh baby, baby can't you see The truth will set me free Maybe I was right, maybe you don't understand Maybe I was wrong, maybe you don't give a damn Good stuff, man, good stuff uh, I like, I love that, I love that song You, you did great on it Thank I don't you, even bro. remember playing that I don't remember playing that I don't need it. I don't need it But it sure, sure is a good song Good female song it would be, I think. You know, I like taking these old songs out, man. It's nice to get yeah on them again. You know, well, that's all we can afford too. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> there's that. Yeah, there's that. So, oh, you know what? Um, I already told him that that this is the last week for name the goat, right? Right, I think so. Yeah. So we we've been enjoying the names you come up with. Uh, we're we're gonna try to pick one and. 
and maybe try to get a hold of you about it. We'll, we'll be through Messenger or something. We'll we'll get a hold of you and uh, see if you want to tell us how you uh, did it, how you came up with it, and go from there. <laughs> and what it means. <laughs> yeah, what it means. What do you mean? And uh, my goat's real happy about it. Yeah, I know. They're going to name you. We're going to pick it. This is the last week we're going to pick it. Okay, be cool. Stupid goat. I'm going to call him pushy. Yeah, he is pushy, man. Goats are pushy anyway, I think. But be careful how you say that. (laughs) (laughs) Is it getting time to clear on out of here yet? It is, man. But before we go, you know, you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you get them, you know, at Apple or Google or anywhere, um, I know on Anchor you can leave us a message, a, a vocal message. Hey, we might play that on here. And yes. uh, and at Apple, leave us a review. You know, tell us how you like it. Or if you don't, you know, don't say nothing. But but if you would, I mean, supposedly it means a whole lot to get reviews and likes on Facebook. So if you, you know, everybody that listens, give a like, we'd have a lot of yeah. likes. Likes and some rates. That's right. So yeah. it's good for us. And you know, um, that's about it. I'm done. Well, good. Let's get out of here. Well, Dave, I don't know what we're going to do next, but we'll come up with something. I'm sure. Figure it out. Get back with everybody. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thank y'all, and we love you. And keep those card, those virtual cards and letters coming in. Uh, <laughs> and uh, y'all stay safe and we'll talk to you next time on Hillbilly Hasbins bye 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 we would ride our bus town to town everybody was a getting down pack it up and do it all again the Hillbilly Hasbins of old have come to pass even though we was kicking ass we love the fans but we need some friends hillbilly has been